The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are into the new year. Happy New Year. Um, Happy New Year to you as well. Changes in the NHL again. Changes to the Olympics. Um, the World Junior situation. Um, where do we end a whole bunch of other stuff that, uh, covers a lot of hockey. Where do we want to start? Oh, uh, let's see. A lot of things going on. Uh, something that I was, do we want to delve into that? Something I was discussing at Christmas time with family. Because it was apparently causing an uproar. Oh, you're talking about what has become known as the Marshan plan uh, since then? Yes. I think that's an excellent place to start. Okay. I really do. Um, Brad Marshand is a lightning rod. A On the ice and off, apparently. And he's been one of the most divisive figures in the NHL in the last decade. Um, no one Divisive denies his, might well, be a little not strong. many people deny his talent. Right. Those who do are hilarious. Um, but he came out when it was announced that the NHL would not be participating in the Olympics, which was a surprise to not me. He came out. He came out to a very. He, he came out with a very not happy tweet, which is what started everything. And it was glorious because I. I mean, my my response to his tweet was um, one. I I'm. I hope that all of the players who agree with him but won't say it uh, will chip in when he's eventually fined. Um, I haven't actually heard that he's been fined, but I have not read that anywhere either. No. And two. He's right. Uh, these guys, just because they get paid playing hockey and they get paid a decent sum of money uh, compared to other sports, it seems a little low sometimes, but oh, they get paid big, a decent big. amount of money to play hockey. But they would still certainly prefer to represent their respective countries at an international uh, uh, an international competition. I understand that the original concept of of the Olympics was it's all amateur players. Well, that went out the window a few decades ago. And honestly, I think that's the best argument against any pro-level athletes. And in general, I would honestly probably prefer it if every country were going to limit themselves to purely non-professional players. The Americans were one of the last countries to actually send professional. The other countries were sending their professional hockey players, and the Americans were still sending college players. I, they were one I, of the last countries to actually adopt the, okay, we'll send pros. I would be okay if we could get most of the world to go back to that. And I understand that, but since we are sending professional players and they are representing their countries all across the globe, it's not just America, it's not just Canada, uh, they're all sending them now. 
and yet you're going to turn around and I understand that it's under they're under contract and and these were some of the arguments I was having with my family is that they would be in breach they like getting paid they but he proposed that that they should be allowed to go even if they were willing to forego salary okay um the other here's here's part of it here's part of my here here's part of the reasons why i think that you could make the argument that players could do this without being in breach of their contract mm-hmm. players are allowed to take personal leave because they're not being paid or if they are being paid it's not at their current level and maybe maybe they should players should forgo any sort of payment from uh, any, any, any form of salary or per diem from the Olympics if they do go, making it a purely social effort. Okay. Um, if they're allowed to take personal leave and they're not participating in a league or in a league that's in direct competition with the NHL, because the Olympics are not. Um, the Olympics are theoretically three and a half weeks, four weeks of kumbaya with 190 nations and yada, yada, yada. Um, there's more drama involved with that and uh, just the number of... Ju- Ladies and gentlemen, at some point, look at the... Um, Look at look up the number of latex devices li- delivered to the Olympic Village each year. Yeah, yeah, it's there's certainly a great deal of goodwill between the athletes, yeah. but between the nations themselves, sometimes not so much. Uh, but back to the plan. Um, I think that because the Olympics are an irregular well, infrequent, brief, non-commercial, at least as far as the organization isn't trying to make money, um, event that you can make a serious, serious claim that it's not in breach of contract. That said, Marshan's plan is that, you know, players would have to specifically be selected by their nation, which only makes sense. Um, and I think because of that and because at most, maybe four players per team are going to be selected, I think this could be good for the league in terms of developing, uh, young, young players. Cause if you can say to, let's say, Let's take the Boston team. Let's take Jack Stednika. Start of the year, we know Patrice Bergeron is going to be selected to the Canadian Olympic team. It's just a gimme. He's still the best two-way forward in the game. And he's been there, done that, knows how to win. If you can look at Jack Stednika and say, look, it's September. It's October first. You're not making the NHL roster today. If you have not been called up by then, I guarantee you 
you will play uh, when when Patrice departs for uh, Beijing. Okay. That's a huge motivation. A huge motivation. That is an enormous carrot for that player who needs development. And guess what else it means? With that player that motivated, knowing that there is a window for them to come up and shine, yeah. when the team is definitely going to need them, it's going to elevate the players around them, too. Oh, here's here's the thing. You got you you have most likely and and using the Bruins example again, you have most likely four Bruins. Yep. That would have gone to the Olympics. Brad Marchand, not happy for multiple reasons, not the right. least of which being that he hasn't represented his country and this is probably going to be his one opportunity at 33 years old. And yep. the at in the way he's playing, he was going to he was most likely going to be on the Canadian squad. So not only not happy Canadian squad, but playing with his everyday Boston Bruins teammate. This would have been and and I'm reading it right here. It says Bruins captain Patrice Bergeron, two time Olympic gold medalist for Team Canada, said he would have represented his country if he was chosen to do so for a third time. Quote, it would have been my last chance to experience it. I think it's disappointing as an athlete and as a competitor. I think you want to be part of those types of events. I was fortunate enough in my career to do that twice and to live it and to experience it and then have some amazing memories out of it. That's two. Number three, David Pasternak. Oh, wait, he's never played. He's never represented his country at an Olympics. Yep. He showed his disapproval. He retweeted Marchand's statement. The fourth one being the Hall of Famer. Charlie McAvoy, 24-year-old, still waiting on his chance to play in the Olympics. Quote, if given the opportunity, I was absolutely going to go, and I really think I was going to enjoy every second of it. I've dreamed of that for a long time, so disappointing is really the only way to describe it. Oh, and let's not forget that Bruce Cassidy was going to be an assistant coach for Team Canada. The day Correct. before the day before they announced uh, the announcement came out, he said he would be very disappointed to miss out on his first Olympic experience. Four out of five members of the Bruins first opportunities wiped off the board. And here's the other part of the equation. The Olympics don't happen in isolation. So Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, Cassidy and. McAvoy go over there. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to interact with other players. You're going to interact with other coaches. You're going to get a feel for these people in a way that they can't in the NHL. So could this also be an opportunity for, I don't know, maybe scouting or not just scouting camaraderie camaraderie, networking Networking, because that's going to come into play in another story that we're going to talk about later. It absolutely comes into play because you've got the trade deadline coming up in a couple of weeks. See, you're foreshadowing here. This is good. And, of course, there's (laughs) the off-season. Oh, we don't have those. Many things happen, sort of, you know, everything from the draft. No, nothing ever happens in the off-season. 
I don't know. There's window. There's windows where no trade clauses and no movement clauses don't exist. Is there really? I know it's weird. That's that's so odd. And the opportunities lost are not just for personal glory or national pride, which there are some legitimate business opportunities lost, diminished, and thrown away by this policy. Short, 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 short version. Yes. Brad's right. Absolutely, Brad's right. This is ridiculous. I mean, I'm not – I was in no way – when I was having these discussions with my family, there is in no way – and I was not saying that they shouldn't go. I was just defending the fact that they couldn't go because, oh, wait, they would be in breach of contract. But as we discussed pre-show, and you said that it's been going on for years, Ted Leonsis of Washington Capitals is okay with – the fact that Ovechkin would breach his contract to go play in the Olympics. And just as a reminder for those of you who have been in a coma for a couple of years or have been blanking out every moment of the current world health concern, Ovechkin is on track to break a certain uh, unbreakable record. Well, that's what everybody thought anyway. Yeah. But Two of us have been saying for three or four years that it was going to happen. Yes. It, it just it, – it, I get that – and and Marchand is correct in another sense. If the NHL can whip, to, can whip together and amend the CBA, whip together a whole format in order to have the summer – the summertime hockey league a couple of years ago. Oh, yes. Changed the playoff format, changed everything. And managed to do this in in a not necessarily record amount of time, but in a very short span of time, they managed to whip together taxi squads, get together, you know, redo the CBA, money in escrow, this, that, and everything else. Why can't they have a taxi squad for the Olympics? I I don't understand it. Particularly where players are willing to give up their salary, that means no cap implications. And even if don't, even if you call up the cheapest players in the in your system, the cap savings are going to allow you yet more freedom. And it might be the difference between teams having to pay a cap penalty uh, next season or not. This is in some ways a get out of cap jail free card for teams with Olympic quality players. This, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, there are multiple players not happy. Uh, just oh, even if this was, if you go searching uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, not happy. Literally every player who Every player who I've seen who was projected to be on an Olympic roster is at best miffed. This was probably the last chance for guys like Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman. Patrice. Um, Patrice. Even Brad. Even Brad at 33. I mean, four years. Even if he, even if like Ovechkin, he manages to dance around the effects of father time. 
there's so there's always so many young players coming up. So far, the only player, the only the only the only active player that I've seen in any league beating Father Time is Tom Brady. But um, Alex Ovechkin's doing a pretty good. And job. and I would have to say Ovechkin would have to be second on the list. Yes, he's not in his forties yet, but he. He's he's creeping up there, so yeah, I would have to say Ovechkin's doing pretty good too against Father Time. Yeah, we can put Ovechkin in that group. <laughs> I mean, but um, there are just and Ovechkin so, just, plays somewhat more physically than Tom Brady. Tom Brady is in a position on his team where he's not actively seeking out and tackling other players. So yes, his. Uh, he gets tackled, but he's it's not his primary role on his team, yes. So, no. yeah, I would say that he's probably not – he would argue that it's a physical game, but I would say that, yeah, he's probably not as physical because it's not his job to be so. I just I, – just reading all of the – I mean, you can go in and just Google Martian, you know, just – do an internet search for Martian plan or for Brad Martian Olympic tweet. And, and the one thing I haven't found, and I know we talked about this pre-show, it doesn't say anywhere that he's been fined for this. Which I do find somewhat surprising. I really considering, do. considering the way the league likes to find him <laughs> and, in and, and find people just in general. Yeah. It is a little yeah. surprising. On the other hand, mm-hmm. the women's Olympic roster was announced, and there may be some similar. Wait, wait, wait. There may be a similar vibe to previous years. Wait, wait, wait. Are they sending pros from the PHF? They are sending pros from the PHF. But how are they able to do that? Um, it's not possibly. possible. The men can't send their pros. Uh, I, I, you'd have to, I, I'd have to ask somebody cause I, I'm not familiar with that. Okay. Um, okay. maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it's somebody using the gray matter between their ears. I don't know. It's a mystery too deep for me to solve. Oh, okay. Um, among the returning players, uh, and former Olympians mm-hmm. are Maddie Rooney, Alex Kelvani, Nicole Hen. Uh, Hensley, Amanda Kessel, Kendall Coyne, Schofield, Alex Carpenter, um, Lee Steckline, Danny uh, Cameronisi, um, Hillary Knight, Hannah Brandt. Uh, yep, all returning. I to think I've the I, I think I've heard these names before. I don't know. Maybe once or twice. Oh, and someone named Decker, Brianna Decker. Uh, yeah, sounds. I know Almost I've heard that like name before. I know I've heard that name before. Uh, so, yeah, the the team is expected to do <clears throat> really well um, because history says that the U.S. women's Olympic team is arguably the best in the world, historically, arguably. And that their only real competition is Canada. Uh, given Canada's, given how much more aggressively Canada has 
uh, reacted to to the world health concern um, and the level of restrictions. Not that the restrictions seem to have prevented outbreaks there, I, uh, but that's a different topic. I may be I may be incorrect here, <clears throat> but according to USA Hockey's list. First of all, there are there are eight women on the team who have not played before, or at least not according to the way they list their players. But they also list the players' most recent team, and actually none of them have PHF teams listed. They don't have PHF teams listed. On the other hand, a couple of them list uh, the professional hockey so they list the union professional women's which, hockey players association team adidas yeah. team adidas team adidas yeah i i found that one um but none of them have a, nothing none of them have a phf team listed i'm pretty sure some of these girls have played in the oh, phf i think some, excuse I me think some of these women my apologies playing in the phf um I mean, I understand a couple of the a couple of the young ladies on this team, Abby Murphy in particular, and Grace Zumwinkle. Both are from the University of Minnesota. Uh, Jesse Comfer is from Boston, is Boston University. Um, but yeah, none of them have a PHF team listed. That's um, as I said, disingenuous. If we take a look at uh, just the giggles, Amanda Castle. Okay. She oh, actually she is not playing for the uh, Rivet or for the Riveters currently. I would have to go look at the PHF. But yeah, the number of Players with the association, players association listed is uh, curious. Yeah, it is very curious. Apparently she's not playing anywhere professionally at the moment. Just looking at Amanda Castle's statistics. And you no, said something it looks like it's been a year or two. And you said something interesting to me the other day that one of our one of our favorite websites for information is actually listed, listing the women's hockey players. Yep, uh, hockey database uh, hockeydb.com uh, has started listing the uh, has started listing women's hockey. Um, which I think is uh, slightly about, overdue, but I was going to say about damn time. <laughs> it, it's good to see, and and I'm wondering. I have not tried it yet. I'm wondering if other sites have followed suit. Uh, I would assume that will if it's not been done yet, it will happen real soon with elite prospects. Um. Because if you go to like 
if you go to like hockey reference search for Amanda Kessel, it's not there. She's not there. Uh, it might be time that hockey reference actually includes all of hockey. Just a thought. Anyway, I just wanted to get that. I just want to throw that out there because it reminded when we was as we were talking, it reminded me of it. The, the USA hockey team, as constructed, is probably set for another medal run. Um, that's that's won, going out on quite a limb there. Gee, I know. They won the gold in 2018. Four years prior to that, they won, what was it, the silver? Uh, I mean, they, they've medaled in six straight Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> So yeah, I, I realize it's it's a tree trunk sized limb that I've stepped out on, but they are one of the best teams in the world. Yes, yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and very interesting. They are the best team in the world. It, it it goes back and forth between them and Canada, though. I mean, and it was very entertaining when we went. Does it really? Does it really? Yeah, kind of. I mean, they, they, they have some serious talent on the Canadian roster as well. They do. Not not uh, not the least of which is, is Darnell's sister, Sarah. Sister? I believe sister, yeah. It, although it might be cousin. Don't remember. Um, yeah. So the least surprising coaching move in hockey happened uh, or was announced right after the break. Clearly, we are having an influence here because I'm pretty sure we discussed that this needed to happen and happen soon the last time we talked about it. If it didn't happen soon, it would have been a marvelous bidding war uh, right after Bloody Monday. Um, Dean Evison got a three-year contract extension um, through with the Minnesota Wild, which again the least shocking, most overdue hockey move. I, I'm I'm baffled by Bill Guerin's move here. I don't get it. What was he thinking? I, oh wait, he was thinking that he likes to win. <laughs> and you know what? I don't know that there's another coach in the league who could do what Everson is doing with that roster. Because it, that but, roster isn't that deep. I mean, but there's can you make more, that argument? I mean, look at what Berube did with St. Louis. St. Louis at least had stars on the team and superstars. Plenty. Yeah, but the stars weren't playing. It wasn't Tarasenko out yeah. injured. But it wasn't Came just back. Tarasenko. They had O'Reilly. They had, uh, at the time, they had their blue line. They had... Um, Oh, they still had Petrangelo on the team. They had Petrangelo. They had that that fantastic run from Bennington. This team? Name me a legitimate superstar. Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, he's got an abbreviated season and part of the and 25 or so games in this year. Not yet a legitimate superstar. Um, exactly. No, I'm not. 
Yes, they don't have a Conor McDavid. They don't have a Patrice Bergeron. They don't have a Victor Hedman. They don't have. They don't um, have a Jonathan Huberdeau. Pick your favorite goaltender. You know they can tout. They, they, yes, in goaltender in net especially, they're putting it together with duct tape, bailing wire, and a little bit of hope because we don't know if Kapokakinen is the goaltender this year or the goaltender of last year when he was. Surprisingly, is their second leading uh, points producer behind Kirill Kaprizov. Yes, I mean, he's their leading goal scorer. What they do have, though, they have a bunch of guys, real, they have a bunch of guys who have heart desire, um, decent talent. I feel like this is a team that has two second lines and two third lines. Okay. Interesting way to – yeah, I can um, – It's – I mean, you got guys who can't put the puck in the net. Odd balance, but it's working. I think part of it is working because they're playing in the Western Conference, and I think part of it is working because the coach understands who his players are. And that's and that's key right there is and and I don't necessarily know that we have I think that's one of the issues we have here in Boston with our head coaches. I don't know that he knows what he's dealing with sometimes. Um, But, yeah, he seems to know. He he seems to know what his team's strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and he plays to those strengths. He sets his he, he has set up his game plan. And then it sounds cliche and it sounds like, well, duh, that's the way they should all do it. But they don't. Not all coaches have that. That capability, that ability, whatever you want to define it as some coaches, they have their system and you're going to play their system no matter what. And Dean Everson seems to recognize that, okay, he needs to format the system to the players he has instead of the players he has to his system. Okay. Ryan Hartman. Now, he, admittedly, he was a first-round draft pick, 30th overall in 2013. Note, that's almost 10 years ago. His highest previous season for goals was the 16-17 season. He had 19 goals, 12 assists, 31 points in 76 games. He's got 15, 13, and 28 in just 31. So he's on pace to legitimately double his previous points totals. His previous high point total. Ryan Hartman, right wing. Did he just take a little longer to mature? And at 27, he's actually coming into his own. Uh, I mean, clearly he may have had some injury history and. Maybe COVID actually helped him get healthy. Maybe. But I think part of it is he's playing for a coach who knows what to do with him with players who sync up with him. I've got an example for you real quick. Go ahead. This came out 26 days ago, December 5th. 
Dean Everson, give Dean Everson credit for trying some for trying something new to start this season. He clearly felt Joel Erickson act deserved a chance to play number one center. He also knew there was a chance he would reunite act with with Jordan Greenway and Marcus Bellino. He constantly refer consistently refers to them as the security blanket. Joel Erickson act, Jordan Greenway, Marcus Bellino. You were saying no. You were saying no stars on the team. These guys are er, Erickson Eck is actually a decent center. I like him. Greenway is. Stars on the team. There are no super, but this is the line that he calls his security blanket. Which I honestly <laughs> love the name of, and it tells you a lot about. Uh, it's similar to the identity line on the island. Um, your, it's it's who your coach re- feels they can rely on the most. And it's awesome. I, to quote, I wish they never got tired. They were doing the right things in all areas of the game. They were leading our group by what they were doing, just showing that leadership quality. It's a great game by them. This is a guy, he takes three guys who you wouldn't think would fit together and bam, and they work. And he's been doing that since he was the interim coach. When they first, he's been mashing lines together and and making them work. Because you would think that Eck would be centering Kaprizov and say Fiala, and that would be your number one line. But no, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> it's just scary. And 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 then he's got guys like players that we saw, Nico Sturm. Nico Sturm, uh, I really really like that player. Um, I I think that he's probably at right about the right level uh, in the NHL at the moment. Does he still have space to grow? Probably. Um, but I am in no way surprised by this, and I think that three years is probably the perfect amount of time. Um, it's just, I would it, love to see this team get that one superstar. I don't know. I don't. You know what? The way we're talking and reading the, everything that I've read about the way, I don't know if getting that superstar would actually kind of mess things up. I think this team is successful because of the way this team plays and the way they are, the way they're built. I think bringing in that superstar kind of messes with the chemistry. If you're going to bring in if you're going to bring in that superstar, I think you got to do it in the offseason, you know, that that offseason you talked about. It has to be the right personality, too. Yes. I mean, bringing in a Connor McDavid. Probably the wrong personality. I think McDavid's a little bit more outspoken than a lot of hockey are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I think given the overall tone of that team, it would not necessarily be a great fit. If you bring in someone more like, say you managed to pick up a Ryan O'Reilly, or you managed to pick up a um, not that I expect him to be available, although he is a UFA this summer. 
Patrice Bergeron, a guy who <laughs> will speak his mind when he's interviewed, but it doesn't really dodge questions, but isn't the type to stir the pot. Okay. Um, sure. Uh, I, I mean, even, you know, mentioned him earlier in the show, maybe a Huberto, good solid person to add. Um, could probably, or for that matter, Jordan Stahl. I don't know that he qualifies as a superstar anymore, but um, that's the type of player you could add without a ripple, um, but still with a positive effect, uh, at least. Okay. I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I know that the teams that are ma- expected to make the playoffs, they become buyers. They're, you know, they're, they're going to look for that extra. I don't know that they're going to be shopping around for that super, it, it, even if it's a rental. I don't know that Garen's going to be shopping around for that over-the-top superstar. It, it, not that they're going to be available at a trade deadline. and They might be for the right price coming off of a bad team, but I I think Garen and Everson they know what they've got and they don't want to mess with that. Hmm? Ray Borg, Bobby Orr, Lane Gray yeah. were all traded. They were, yeah. That means anyone in the league now can be traded. I still don't I, I still don't see the I don't know, I don't see them messing with the with the chemistry of the team, at least not at the trade deadline. They may bring in depth pieces and what they think will work, but bringing in that superstar that's going to – they've, as I said, Kaprizov, and, and you're right, he's not a superstar yet, but I think that if he continues on the track he's on, he can be. But I think right now he's about as big a star as, as they want on that team. Especially given all the injuries they've had, you know, Matt Dumba, um, Grodin is out. Uh, they've got Spurgeon, I believe, is out still. Um, I didn't see, did not see him on the ice last night. Um, Zuccarello is another really solid player who's not a superstar. Um, I, I mean, the Minnesota, the Minnesota Wild are a tough team to dislike. Um, but as has been their entire history, except for the results and where they are in the standing, they're a tough team to get excited over. I, I do get nervous about their ability to, it, it seems like whenever they make the playoffs, they, they forget how to score goals, but that, that has been consistent for the franchise's entire history. And let's hope it doesn't happen this year. Um, we talked a little bit about the Olympics. Didn't really talk about the re-implementation of taxi squads and their impact. Uh, Um, I I expressed my opinion to you, but I I just, I don't. I don't see that taxi squads are a necessity at this point, unless it's a taxi squad so that the players can go to the Olympics, of course. But I don't see how they're needed. I understand when they made that when they created the the taxi squads, the idea was that those six players went with the NHL team 
The AHL wasn't playing at the time, so these six guys could keep practicing, keep playing, stay fresh, uh, and be ready in case somebody on the NHL squad wasn't needed. Now, AHL teams are playing. You can call players up. You're taking six players away from ice time that they definitely would have in the AHL and putting them on a squad where they're not playing except to practice. And I think in the grand scheme of things, you're hurting yourself. If you're not, there's no replacement, no replacing game speed. So you're going to take these six guys, stick them on a practice squad to have them skate around with the players during practices, which they don't have many of to begin with mm-hmm. when they're playing every other night and, and trying to keep them fresh and up to game speed. No, this is, I think this is a mistake. I like the concept of it. It made sense when they created the summertime hockey league, but it doesn't make sense here. The argument, I believe, for it is to create sort of a firewall for uh, transmission by having players already with the team who can just be swapped in. Um, I think that there's some benefit by having some of your best prospects or even your second-tier prospects practice against your NHL guys. Um and see what it takes to really, really get there. As much as I still don't think he's a useful NHL player and, you know, is a solid number six at his very best, John Moore has benefited from the time on the taxi squad last year um, and mostly from the time getting healthy and uh, or also from the time getting healthy and in the AHL this year, because when he came up and played three games earlier this year, I didn't want Wait to cover my eyes nearly as much. Wait a minute. Isn't John Moore on the permanent taxi squad, otherwise known as Healthy Scratch? Um, he is currently, but like last year, he was on the real taxi squad where he belonged. Um, <laughs> and I genuinely believe that the practice against the NHL players is good for your prospects and good for helping knock off some of the rough edges of guys who are just outside the roster. Okay. Is it something I want to see permanently in the league? No, definitely. Is it, is it more beneficial? Is the taxi squad situation more beneficial to players such as, Jack Stanika and and the the kid who was uh, requesting a trade, Zach Sanishin, is it more beneficial to be on a taxi squad and not playing every night, or is it beneficial to them to be in a game at game speed, whether they're good, bad, or and and, and yes, Zach Sanishin has not been anywhere player. near what was expected. That's it's my argument. Player. If um, you're gonna take if you're gonna take a bunch of, I think that the younger players. I think the younger players need to be playing. Ideally, yes. But if they're already too good for the AHL. Then why aren't they in the NHL? Because it's possible to be too good for one league and not good enough for the other. 
It is. I agree. Um, if they're too good for the AHL and they're playing down there, they're going to develop bad habits. They're going to get sloppy. They're going to cut corners. And then they're flat out never going to be good enough for the NHL. Um, Perfect example of that, Kenny Agostino. If they're practicing against NHL players who they have to hustle to stay within screaming distance of, I think that those players are going to be in the best place for them. It's there's so no one size fits all answer. So you're okay with taxi squads as it stands? Uh, I mean, where is your I, I stance on this? I am temporarily okay with taxi squads. If we're still talking about the taxi squad in five years, it better be a radical departure. Um, it better be something like, okay, you have these unsigned prospects and you're using them strictly to practice against in a way much more like the NFL than as a as part of your general developmental model. Yes, but see, the NHL, the the NFL has practice squads because they don't have they don't minor, have development leagues. Yes. They don't have a minor league system. I mean, aside from the CFL. <laughs> it's not really. You don't send players down to the CFL. You have to cut them, and then they go sign with the CFL team, and then they play in a different league altogether. They're not tied to the NFL franchise and you know, sent down to an AFL affiliate or something. Uh-huh. It just it that's why they have practice squads because they have that those ten or twelve. I forget how big their squads are, but. Those 10 or 12. And the thing is, those 10 or 12 guys can actually be signed by any team in the NFL. So yes. even though and they're on your practice squad, anybody can poach them. And I think that if the NHL did that with guys who have either. If you made it a requirement that guys have have to have passed through the draft twice or, or at least are no longer draft eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, Make them poachable to other teams. And are poachable to other teams. Wow, that's that's that that would certainly make things different. It would make it different, and I think that you have a better chance of getting of getting players developed uh, who might have had a hiccup. Um, we talked, we looked at the younger Greenway uh, at the Bruins development camp this summer, and everyone I talked to, everyone I talked to, said all the physical gifts in the world, everything he needs to be an NHL player because... Oh, Jordan's brother, yes. Yes, let's face it, he was drafted twice. Yeah. Um, he has the... He has the... She needs... He has the physical size, he has the he hockey size That he, the NHL is where he, he wants to, or he needs to be. And that's the biggest knock against him. It has him, to is stop that, being a nice idea or something that would yeah. be great someday. And start being in oxygen level need. But every yeah, everybody we talked to at development camp was like, this kid size everything, but he doesn't know whether he wants to be an NHL player or not. And he doesn't know whether he wants to play hockey. You could literally see it when he was in a game like situation. He looked like number two, number three best player on the ice. At times, yeah. When he was. Oh, 
Oh, skills and uh, doing the skills, skills and everything else. Uh, you occasionally wondered why he was there at all. Yes, taking up a, a spot from somebody who could benefit. <laughs> and I think that that's a type of player who, you, especially if the league is going to continue to grow, mm-hmm. I think that that's the type of player who would benefit from signing a 30-day taxi squad contract before you toss them into your AHL system with a with a deal or into the e- ECHL. Um, maybe maybe you also make that as a mechanism for for players who are who want to come over from Europe who weren't drafted or something like that. Okay. Um, but that's that's an off-season topic, and we can dive into that a little further some other time. Um, do we want to take the fun story, or at least the really interesting story, um, that one of those marvelous benefits of having fans back in the building? Okay. Um, everyone uh, hop in your time machine. And set uh, set the date for the pretty much the beginning of the season. Uh, it's October 23rd. The Canucks and the Seattle Kraken are playing. The the created rivalry by the NHL. Yes, the geographic brand new rivalry. Um, and your your assistant coach Brian, uh, your equipment manager Brian Hamilton. And you hear a bang, 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 bang on the glass behind you. Knowing you're not in your home building, you probably ignored it for a while. Eventually you turn around and there's a woman with a mask on her face holding Mm -hmm. her phone up to the glass. And on on that message uh, in the phone is something telling you to get the mole on the back of your neck checked. Okay. It's October. You're traveling. You're outside. You're outside the country where you live and work. No. I'd probably forget it before, by the time I got back to the bus, much less. Forget it. Would you even, uh, how many people would read that and think that it was some sort of, you know, Frank? some sort of, or, 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 or a snide remark, you know, Hey dude, you get, you, you got that mole on the back of your neck, man. Get that checked out. Yeah. You know, how many how many people would take it seriously is what I'm I guess is what I'm trying to say. As I said, I'd, I'd have forgotten it before I got on the bus. Um, if I didn't, if I wasn't already aware of it, I would have forgotten it by the time I got on the bus. So, turns out, malignant melanoma, a type of skin cancer. Um, two days ago, team tweets out. Hey, we're looking for this woman who was sitting behind our bench. Not even, not even uh, six hours later, her mother responds. Hey, that was my daughter. She's a medical student. Um, we were sitting there. Woman responds. They bring her to the next to a game and make an announcement that. The two teams are donating $10,000 to her, uh, a $10,000 scholarship 
for her medical school expenses. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> I'm like, pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that when she was banging on the glass to let let Red Hamilton know that you know he had a mole on his neck, he should get it checked out. I'm pretty sure she wasn't thinking, "What am I going to get out of this?" No, she did it for the same reason she went to medical school to help people. Right. Uh, and the young woman's name is Nadia Popovic. Um, and this is just one of those neat stories where, you know, they cut, they caught it. He's being treated or has been treated. Um, and if she doesn't catch this and say something, uh, how long, how much longer does this go on? How much worse is it for him? They they always say catching, you know, the earlier you can catch any form of, of cancer, the better your chances. I mean, and even the quote from him, he's like, that evening, October 23rd, and the message you showed me on your cell phone will forever be etched into my brain and has made a true life-changing difference for me and my family. Your instincts were right, and that mole on the back of my neck was a malignant melanoma, and thanks to your persistence... And the quick work of our doctors, it is now gone. I, that's, I mean, and he, he's like, I got to find this woman. I need to thank you so very much. I mean, it's just it, it's one of those real good stories that, OK, the NHL shouldn't be going out trying to create these stories. But this is certainly something that needs to get more noted. I don't remember hearing anything about this until you put this story up on the board. And I, this is something I only that recently saw it. And I'm, I'm not saying awesome. that you, I'm not saying that you use it. I'm not saying that the NHL should use stories like this and, and blow them up and be like, look what we do. You know, but I think you need to be celebrating something like this a little more, especially during hockey fights, cancer. And here's the thing. We're we always hear about how great the hockey community is and how much people care and how they reach out and do this and that and blah 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 blah. This is a real example. This is a legitimate impact that took no effort, no expectation of reward, and yet really it potentially saved Hamilton's life. Certainly where it was caught early and taken care of it, oh. it prevented a deeper, harder need for treatment that might have taken him away from his job and his family for a good amount of time. Um, you know, radiation, chemo, both of those are things that all by themselves, every doctor, nurse, and, you know, candy striper on the planet is going to tell you, yeah, you can't be around people until, this is, until after this is over because they wipe out your immune system. And wiping out your immune system right now um, seems contraindicated. So good news. Love the story. Um, glad and for both of them and their families. Just uh, just to just to put a little icing on when the mother when the mother replied back, she she wrote <clears throat> she hasn't even seen this message yet. As she worked graveyard shift at the Suicide Crisis Center in Seattle. So she's still asleep. 
So not only A, she get into multiple medical schools, but this is she works at the Suicide Crisis Center. I mean, this is a person who is clearly giving of herself. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> That's not an easy thing to do. Hand, on the other hand, we have act of uh, extreme caution. The World Junior Championships was canceled, which... Didn't necessarily surprise me. I was going to say, when we talked about it last week and how they had canceled the women, but the men were still playing, it was... It, it, it had the feel. I expected it. I really did. <laughs> and, you know, we talked extensively about people feeling it was unfair for the men's tournament to continue in a different country that than the women's tournament had been canceled in. I got to say, I think the guys had the greater disappointment here. They got there. They could taste it. They had the jerseys. They had their hotel rooms. They had. They knew where they were practicing, where they were playing. And then two days later, it's all over. Just literally yanked out from underneath them. Uh, The women didn't have to travel. They didn't have to say goodbye to their family or expect not to see them over the holidays. Um. Neither one is fun, uh, but I'd prefer to know in advance something wasn't happening versus getting in, getting involved, detaching myself from everything else, and all of a sudden it implodes. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't not surprised by it though. I don't think they'll resume it. I I would I would love it if they could, but I read somewhere that. Is a possibility they could play it in, in play it in 2022, but I yeah, I just don't even want to think about it. Like, really, don't want to think about it. And then there's the Oilers. The Oilers. <laughs> the Oilers, uh, not so slick with one of their prospects, and this is one of those how to ruin a player uh, in one stupid move. Uh, this is a, this is from the hockey writers, uh, Jim Parsons on June, on December 30th. Uh, the Oilers did a lot of things wrong on Wednesday night versus the St. Louis blues. Losing four two in a game to the better team is what it is. But the way the team handled the debut of prospect defenseman Dmitry Samarukov uh, could be among more embarrassing things the team will likely do this season. That's a big statement. Um, one game after making his long-awaited debut uh, for the Oilers in the NHL in a game in which his wife was flown in to watch, Samarukov is already back to the Bakersfield uh, to Bakersfield of the NH of the AHL, having played a mere two minutes and twenty eight seconds of game action, and he never saw the ice again after a second mistake that led to a goal by the Blues. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> a lot to unpack there. Why? Uh-huh. Because the Oilers have been terrible at developing prospects who were drafted outside the first round forever. And, and defensive a, a, prospects. I, was gonna, I, I didn't, I, like I wanted to say. They have yeah. Nurse and 
I'm not sure there's anyone else they actually drafted and developed uh, on the roster. Yes, they drafted Adam Larson, but I believe he was sent no, away. No, they traded for Adam Larson. He came out of the Devils. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, yeah, I can't think of any other defensemen then. Samarukov was drafted back in 17 at 84, so... Um, 84? 84. Third round? Third round? It's not exactly... I mean... That's yeah, okay, it's pick, not no. round one, but that's not a that's not exactly a throwaway pick. We're not no, talking seventh rounder here. Absolutely. I mean, in the 2019 World Juniors, he played seven games for Russia, had four points in those games, plus nine. So it's not like he's a terrible player. So, um, he's not particularly offensive. Um, so they bring this kid in. They bring him in, and they pay him... Two minutes and 28 seconds. Now, they, the article will go in, goes into a bunch of alternatives that they had uh, to playing him. And well, he was benched the, after making a mistake. He was benched for making a mistake. Or rather, two mistakes in, you know, his first game. Um, and he's played less than what? Uh... He hasn't even played 70 AHL games yet. Um, so the pro game is still somewhat new to him. I'm not impressed with the Oilers on this one. If you don't have... Look, the best players make mistakes. Kucherov makes mistakes. Ovechkin makes mistakes. Uh, Connor McDavid makes mistakes. Mitch Marner makes mistakes. Patrice Bergeron. Well, maybe not that one. Um, it, it's going to happen. Like, on defense, and uh, Simarukov is a defenseman. Alex Petrangelo makes mistakes. Victor Hedden makes mistakes. Charlie McAvoy makes mistakes. John Carlson makes mistakes. It, 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 it's human nature. Nobody's perfect. I mean, yes, the, the guys you mentioned, well, except for maybe McAvoy, the guys you mentioned limit those mistakes. And here's the thing. You can't grow as a player if you're not allowed to. 228? It says, yeah, it says right here. It does, so, it does so much more damage to bring a young man in for two minutes and 28 seconds and then staple him to the bench than it would be to merely make him wait before he gets an NHL game on his resume. The so, Oilers had seen Samarukov in the NH in the AHL. They talked to the coaches down there, and they made an assessment that he was ready. Then they pulled it away from him the moment things got ugly. So here's – if you, I'm assuming both of those mistakes came in the first period. So fine. If you really, really think it needs to happen – you sit him the rest of the first period. You have a coach, you have assistant coaches, you have team captains, you have more senior defensemen. Uh, you probably can find his agent, and maybe you ha if you, you can't find his agent, maybe you have him call his billet mom. Talk to him about the mistakes between the period between periods. Explain, you know, or ask him specifically what could you have done better. If he's on the right track, you say, yes, you confirm. 
you maybe provide another alternative, and you go on from there and say, get ready to play in the third, second period. This, this isn't coaching. This is running away. This is legitimately. I mean, I, I love this. The situ- this situation is eerily similar to one that happened with Ethan Bear not all that long ago. Bear made a big mistake against the Winnipeg Jets in the playoffs and never saw the ice again for nearly three periods in a must-win game for the Oilers. He was eventually traded and has said multiple times he knew it was time to leave. In recent interviews, he noted that he still believes it was wrong to punish him the way the Oilers did during that game. So there's your there's your history of they don't know what the hell they're doing. And this is this is Dave Tippett. And by the way, Ethan Bear, pretty good defenseman. Ethan Bear. I'm not saying he's great, but I like Ethan. Play, um, yeah, he's he's pretty solid. Uh, It's just it. it, 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 Yes. The Ethan Bear incident. Um, not all that long ago. It doesn't have a date, but it was, uh, he made a big mistake against the Jets in the playoffs. So it wasn't that long ago because the Oilers don't exactly make the playoffs all the time. Was it, maybe Actually, it was it, the pretend offs. It, it looks like it would have been in the Ken Hall in the, uh, Dave Tippett era too. Cause the last two seasons. Yeah. He, it would have been last season, I think. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. It, it just doesn't. This is does his Dave first. Tippett, I mean, does Dave Tippett feel that if he loses a game badly, he's out the door? Is Ken Holland that sort of general manager? I mean, Dave no. Tippett isn't a terrible coach. I'm not going to sit here and rip him and say that he's the worst thing to ever step behind a bench. I've seen those. Um, but. Mm-hmm. This is you can't you don't do this if you want to actually build. But it it there's a history, so it it can't be just that he's worried about his job because I don't know that Holland was the no he might have been the GM. But I, I if if Tippett were going to be gone, Holland would just move on. I mean Holland is is. A Holland is a a good jet, good general manager. He's not great. He's not elite. He's not. I don't even know if they have those categories for general managers. But he's a solid general manager compared to some of the GMs we've seen, um, and some that we're currently seeing. Um, I just don't think that uh, this is on Tippett. This is not on Holland. This is not on. This is on Dave Tippett. This is absolutely on Dave Tippett. And this is this is this kid's first game in the NHL. You think he might have been a little nervous? Here's the there's a there's a descriptor that Lois Bujold uses in I think I forget whether it was the Civil Campaign or Komar. She describes the difference between her aunt and uncle and her parents as the difference between a uh, a refrigeration unit 
and a greenhouse. One merely retards growth and the other one uh, retards decay and the other one encourages growth. And you're being Dave Tippett this way by denying the ability to make mistakes and then course correct. You're, You're a refrigeration unit. And that's something that can't happen because by the nature of sports, being a human enterprise, players are going to change. They're going to get stronger. They're going to get sick. They're going to get distracted. They're going to get too old. They're going to get too heavy. They're going to get whatever. And their play is going to fluctuate. Even the best players have cold streaks. Even the worst players have hot streaks. And riding that wave, that's your job as coach. That's your job. When you're your job is when you're not the best in the league, and yeah. guess what? Edmonton isn't. This is your true. job isn't to maintain the position, it's to keep moving upwards. True. That's it. You can't do that if you don't develop your players. You can't do that when you're showing every player. You make a mistake, you make two mistakes, you're done forever. Um, and this isn't. And it's not the first time it's happened. I mean, there's a history of it. It's not the first time it. it's happened. It's not. I, and, and, in this particular, and in this particular game, they didn't have Darnell Nurse. They didn't have Nima Linen. They didn't have Lagesson. They, they're missing. They're already shorthanded. The top so, three defensemen. It's not like you were. It's not like this young man was the be all and all. You were missing your top three defensemen. <laughs> you're missing your top three defensemen. So the next three, one, they're not used to playing that many minutes. Two, or, or the number of minutes that they would have played, even if uh, Dimitri had played twelve minutes a night or whatever you think is rational for a third pairing guy to add all of that, all of those additional minutes on top, because dude plays less than three minutes. um, That's, that's bad for the rest of your defense too. Yeah. Uh, I just, no, I no. What were you thinking? Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. The Rangers are one of the more fascinating stories in the NHL in the last two or three years. Uh, as a franchise, they've just made strides fairly quickly, despite changing coaches and general managers in the middle in the middle of that growth. And I'm not 100% sure that they actually needed to change either of those. Mm-hmm. Um And here we are on December, uh, January 2nd, 2022, when three years ago they were a basement team. Right now they're comfortably in third in the, uh, in the Metropolitan Division. They're up five points on the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're up 12 points on the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, this is a solid team. There's no there's no two ways about it. And so when I came across some of the trade rumors, some of the discussions about 
who might be traded. Um, and I was a little bit baffled by some of the names because this team is built around, in a lot of ways, its defense. And one of those defensemen, Ke'Andre Miller. Hey, if they want to trade him. If they want to <laughs> trade him and there's a possibility he can land in Boston, I will get help him back. They, they, yeah, they, 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 if, if they're looking to move Ke'Andre Miller, uh, uh, I know a team that, is tired of getting hosed by the the Rangers and maybe wants to exact a little revenge. <laughs> six four two oh six uh two sixteen rather. Yep. I think we can find a spot for him. As long as it's not sitting next to John Moore. No. Yeah that that doesn't need to happen. Uh but he averages wait 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 for it. He averages 19, just just over 19 minutes a night. I don't know. You think we could find him somewhere in the top four? Um, yes. I would uh, be willing to move a certain new arrival uh, out of the top four. Not, despite that player having his best offensive season to date. No, I, no, we can't move forward. No. Uh, yes, yes, we can. No, no, we can't. We can move him back to the third pairing and uh, call it a day. The Hall of Famer can go back there. Yeah, that'll happen. I didn't say it was going to happen. I said it could happen. And it would be, you know, you want to talk about punishing. No, we can't punish him. He hasn't, you know. But the other. He is a Hall of Famer. The other players are almost as interesting. Ryan Strom. I think they're I think they're anticipating him going to be gone anyway because all of these aren't all these players uh, expiring. They're uh, they're mostly expiring, but they're also talking about Chris Kreider and the amount of money they're going to have or not going to have. Um, as of right know. now, they are they have eleven or ten and a half million in cap space today. But there's strong for next season. They're they're already going up three and a half million on Zabinijad or three million for Zabinijad's pay. Um, they're mm-hmm. going up. They're going up eight and a quarter million or so for Adam Fox's pay. Well, um, did you not expect that? that? Hello, won a trophy. But next year they have. I think they eight million committed to 15 players. They jumped a little on Adam Fox. They couldn't have found a middle ground between 925,000 and nine and a half million. Apparently no, (laughs) but next season they have $9 million to fill their roster from 15 to 22. And, you know, Ryan Strom, Keandre Miller. Keandre Miller actually is not expiring. He's got one year left on his entry level after this season. He does, but that makes him more valuable now than it will next year. Kreider, on the other hand, is six and a half million through forever, and I don't think he's going to fulfill that contract at 30 years old. Um, Zachary Jones is another player on that entry level who's being mentioned is potentially movable. 
but Miller probably has the best return of the defenseman. Miller, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, Miller would certainly bring you more. I, I don't know what Zachary Jones, they don't talk about him. All that much, no. It's, um... And it's not like Andre Miller is a huge offensive threat on the blue line. That nope. first of all, that's not his game. But I mean, he's only got two goals, six points. It, it's not like he's lighting the lamp at every turn. But his defensive play is it's very solid. Yeah, well, very solid. I think is under. And I think it's in advance of his eighty-five NHL games of play. I think he's ahead of the curve. Yes. Because as you've said before, and and I completely agree, it takes a good two and a half seasons. You know, as you said, like the two hundred game. Two and a half normal seasons. <laughs> yeah, normal seasons. I mean, Zachary wow. Jones has only played in ten games. He and he's not even with the team this season. He played ten um, NHL games last season. Cheadle is probably the next most interesting player uh, discussed. And I don't know. I'd still. Philip Cheadle is now on what his third NHL team or is this his fourth? Because I want to say he was with the wings and. No, Philip Cheadle has always been a ranger. Yeah. He's always been the. Uh, Rangers. Philip Heedle has always been a Ranger. I don't know if you're thinking of, of Philip Zadina, but who's always been a Red Wing, but Philip Heedle has always been a Ranger. Someone very, very similar. And, I mean, again, but not, not, a top, not a top-line player. Uh, not huge offensive threat, but he, he has some offensive numbers. Uh, I mean, his first play season... Well, most likely a third, but second line, most likely a third line. You look at the eighteen nineteen season for Heedle, uh he went, he had 23 points and a minus 22 in 75 games. Mm-hmm. Then in the nineteen twenty season, he had 23 points in 60 games and improved to a minus seven. Last year, 22 points in 42 games, uh, plus nine. This year, he's got just seven points in 28 games. Yeah, he's slipped um, a little. I don't know if he's personally slipped or if they're just playing him with less effective players. Um, That's a possibility as well. Different line mates. And... Different line mates. Uh, and I think last year, well, last year was just weird based on only facing uh, one division worth of teams. Um Got one year left on his current deal, two and a, uh, two point three million average van, average annual value, two six on the sell. I mean, he, he's not an expensive player. It's, like I said, not not a top line guy, at least not perceived to be a top line guy. He's twenty two years old. I mean, so you still got it. He's still not even in his prime yet. No. Um. There's he'd be an there's interesting there. I don't did, know if it's a middle six something or a top six something. I think he's a middle six, but I mean, it, I I don't know that I. He's he's not a person no I would build a trade around. 
No, but I would want I, I would certainly consider adding him as a piece. If he's a piece, sure. Go for it. Um, as the centerpiece of a trade, um, no. What's going out? Not unless, not unless, you, not unless what you're moving out is of similar status. Yeah. But I, I think if I think if Miller gets moved, um, the team, the team that gets him is going to be a really lucky and b they might just flat out win the trade on that alone. Um, it really depends on what the Rangers ask for though. Well, as we saw with, with, uh, the Sabres, it's not so much what you ask for. It's what, you know, the other general managers are willing to give you. And (laughs) that, that could take a while. Um, and there's a definite crunch, uh, and an impact to the, to the ability to sign additional players, um, yeah. the range is here. Um, with all of that, the trade deadline does look to be fairly interesting this year, simply because there's what one sixth, one fifth of the uh, of the uh, general managers who are new in their positions, or ah, the foreshadowing we were talking about earlier has come to light. Um, you've got, and that's before any additional, <laughs> any additional moves, um, which. So there's, there's four new GMs and a fifth one that is. An acting GM. Acting due to Doug Wilson being away for health reasons for San Jose. So you've got one of the key things regarding trades is. Oh, wait, we talked about it earlier. Those relationships that they develop among each other, the camaraderie, the the networking, as you put it. And if you've got these new GMs in new places, how much freedom are they being given to make these moves and how much leeway are they being given by their owners? You got Doug Wilson away from the team, replaced by Joe Will. Bergevin out, Gorton in. He's probably got free reign. Rutherford in for Benning in Vancouver. Uh, Kyle Davidson's in for Stan Bowman in Chicago. How much is he going to be given reigns-wise at the deadline? Because they're most likely going to be sellers, if anything at all. I don't see them trying to acquire more. They're not moving forward at this time. Yeah, Jeff Solomon with Bob Murray. Shocking. But the Ducks and the Ducks are not. They, I don't think they're going to be sellers. They're they're ahead of the curve. They're they're right at the same level as the Rangers right now. Um, and they're doing it with (laughs) spending less money for about the same amount of money. Um, I think that this is going to be. If we see one big deal, we're likely to see three or four. And by that, I mean someone who's on that border between middle six and top six. You know, someone who, depending on the team that they're playing with, is either a 2C or a 3C or the third left wing or the second left wing, whatever. Um, I think if we see one, we're, we're as likely to see three. We could easily see none and have it just all be fairly minor deals for 
five through eight, eighth defensemen and fourth liners and penalty kill specialists um, at the trade deadline. Because we still don't know what the cap is going to do next year. We haven't heard picked up any hints. And I think that is a big, big factor, a big factor in the league pulling players out of the Olympics and, more importantly, uh, moving around the games uh, in Canada uh, to avoid the periods where there's no uh, no fans allowed or a cap of 250 people in a building that seats 20,000. Uh-huh. Now, the one thing about the Rutherford... <clears throat> One thing about Rutherford, he was, is he not the one that um, resigned in Pittsburgh because the ownership ownership and a certain former NHL player would not allow him to. um, Yes, that one. (laughs) That one. So I don't know if Vancouver, I'm assuming that Vancouver is going to give him a little more leeway because if they don't, well... And then, you know, um, Jeff Gordon. Well, Jeff Gordon is Jeff Gordon has the cachet that I can. Montreal is going to give him basically full. He's he's, the maximum gun of interim general managers. Like he don't care when it comes time to make trades. He had what was it? The article quotes five trades in one week. That's more than a lot of general managers pull off in a year. A year. And he pulled off five trades in one week, including robbing the Boston Bruins in the Kevin and the uh, Nash trade. Oh, yes. That was. Wow. Yeah, no. (laughs) That was bad. He, He. That was that was Sweeney being a rookie GM. Did he get taken because he was a rookie GM or is Jeff Gordon just that silver tongued that he was able to somehow? I'm leaning towards being (laughs) Jeff Gordon, even though Sweeney has at least made one or two useful trades. In. 26 years as general manager now. Um, 26, huh? I didn't realize he'd been around that long. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm expecting this to be a, I don't expect there to be any middle ground this year. It's either going to be really boring or there's going to be fireworks and lots of fireworks. I think if we know what the cap number is going to be next year and it goes up at least $2 million or as much as $2 million, I, I think we're more likely to see big trades, like a couple of them. The interesting and, – and one of the interesting things about and I and, and I agree, is with Jim Rutherford, he's not necessarily going to be the GM at the deadline. No. Uh, well, he, he's, he's, he's hoping – He's supposed to be acting GM through the deadline. He's hoping to have hired somebody. He's hoping to have hired a GM. 
to help him make the decisions. But we all know Jim is certainly not shy around making deals at the trade deadline. He's usually one of the more active general managers. And he's not expecting that the Canucks are going to go through a full rebuild. There's so no I don't. They should. They so just I, need to find the right need, personalities to they add. They need depth scoring. Their I, goals are coming basically from four players right now. <laughs> they they need to find the right personalities to add to that roster because on paper it makes no sense that they're not better. We're trying to transition the team on the fly, not tear it all down for a total rebuild. I'll say the obvious. We need to get better in certain places so we can grow into a consistent playoff team and grow into a contender. Yeah, he's not he's not tearing this thing down. So my chances of getting JT Miller have gotten slimmer. Damn. <laughs> uh, yep, maybe. And let's see what else is on the board uh, today. It's not a story saying the Bruins got JT Miller. I don't want to talk about it. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> oh, may, uh, Sean Day, who is one of the about 200 players who have made their NHL debut this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you re- might remember him from uh, ooh, about six years ago. He was granted exceptional player status uh, as a... Yeah, for the uh, as a young defenseman uh, going into the OHL, um, mm-hmm. March twenty first, twenty thirteen, exceptional player status for him. He was eventually drafted uh, in twenty sixteen um, by the New York Rangers. Um, he's played for six different teams since then. I uh. sort of wonder if the if the exceptional player status helped him or hurt him overall. That's a good question. Because I mean, he's still I mean, only 23 years old. He's not, no, he's, he's not even hockey old, much less old. Yeah. Um, and five years to make it out of, to make it to the NHL for anyone who, who was actually drafted in late in the second round. Um, who didn't have the exceptional player status, I don't think anyone would even blink at it. Third round, 81st overall? Third round, correct. Um, I mean, it just, and it's not like he's been traded. I mean, he's been with, again, like you said, he's been with like six different, the Wolfpack, the Mariners, the the Crunch, um, and hit three OHL teams, the Steelhead, Spitfires, and Frontenacs. You know, he's only he finally this year got himself into two NHL games with the Lightning. It's not right. like he's been traded and around. He's just he, he. No. And the team that he came out of that, you know, he fell out of the system for the Rangers and was signed by the Lightning. Mm-hmm. They're kind of good at defense. Kinda well, good. they got this. They got this guy Hedman down there. I don't know. No, 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 not. No, he's Sean Day came out of the Rangers system. Oh, yeah. Well. Now he's playing with a team that has good defensemen. They're playing with a team that's got good defensemen, but I don't think the Lightning are quite as deep at this point as the Rangers. Um, Really? I think Hedman is still 
better. You got Sergachev. You, I mean, they're getting older. The, McDonough is, a, is an older player. Victor Hedman's hit 30. Um, but they've got Sergachev. They got Chernak. It, they're not hurting. Versus Truba. Fox. Um, where is Truba? Lindgren is out right now. Okay. Um, Miller, Nemeth. I, I think three years from now, the core as they stand, I think the Rangers are going to have a better defense. Yes. Uh, just looking at looking at some of the defense. I mean, the defense that the Tampa Bay is carrying right now is older. Hedman's thirty-one. McDonough's thirty-two. Jan Ruta's 31, Zach Bogosian's 31, and still playing. Uh, but they're certainly missing out on they, they're certainly missing out on some of their others. I don't know where Chernak is. I don't know where a couple of their other younger defensemen are, unless they're in some protocol. In the protocol. Ah. That's the that's the easy answer to all questions regarding anyone in the NHL right now. <laughs> they are in the protocol. They have some, they have Brent Seabrook. Oh wait, he's never going to play again. Uh, Eric Chernak is currently on IR. Yeah. 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 Um, so Sean Day, uh, congratulations. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah. And. Good, good luck. Uh, hopefully we'll get to see you live and in Technicolor sometime soon. And speaking of uh, one last, uh, since we're, we're kind of in our, our, our young players corner here, our prospects corner, the main Mariners added somebody. Betis Rollins. So this kid's a center and he's, yep. he's, Kind of not small. Kind of, he's kind of not small. He's six foot four, two hundred five pounds, twenty one years old. And interesting, he 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 posted forty four goals in seventeen eighteen, forty four points. Excuse me, in sixty eight games, nineteen twenty season, forty eight points in fifty six games. His junior year, his third year. Condensed 2021, 29 points in 31 games. Um, so he's on an upward track. And, and he seems to like playing in the E. Um, three games, five points. Three games, five points. One goal, four assists. So no uh, pims. How much longer Plus is he going to sit? How much longer is he going to sit in Maine before... If he gets to 10 games at that point, he'll be in Providence uh, by, before game 12. Okay. Um, they will find a way to get him into Providence that fast. Um, and guess what we've done for probably the first time ever on this show? We managed to go through an entire show without talking about something. No, we've mentioned two oh. Belgian-born players... In the same, uh, in back-to-back. Back-to-back. That's true. That's right. Sean Day is from Leven, Be- Leven, Belgium. I don't know if I'm saying it, if I'm mispronouncing it. I apologize to the 
lovely people of Laban, but that's how it looks like it's pronounced. I'm not sure. And uh, Metis Rollins, also of Belgium. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we leave you. Uh, have a great week. Uh, welcome to the new year. And for those of you who have made New Year's resolutions, I hope you fulfill. I hope you fulfill them. Everyone else, just get at it. Have a great year.